0: So I'm not speaking about the current population at large. We are all aware that it's a very fragmented population group. I'm going to speak specifically about the KNU. I'm going to compare it to um, the broken down ceasefire of the Kachin Independence Organization. This is something I've been doing for my uh, PhD uh, research. Um, and I think what has come up now, really, and what is the most important thing, I think, that I also want to touch on with regards to livelihoods is that these ceasefires don't necessarily improve the livelihoods of all parts of the local communities. Absolutely, as Tim said, like, um, there, there's huge improvements because the actual conflict has ended. Um, but then if displacement, for instance, happens again by militarized infrastructure construction, etc., what difference does it make to communities? right? There's something I heard quite often in KIO areas in the north, in IDP camps, where I'm like, "So you've been displaced by the conflict now? That's you know unfortunate. Can you tell me about and so on?" And he's like, "Well, yeah, but to be honest, you know, that's like the kind of tenth time I was displaced, and the other nine times were during the ceasefire." Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, so with this background, let's say, um, just just a brief puzzle, really, because um, we all know that KNU was signing the ceasefire in January two thousand and twelve, which was basically just half a year after the KAO ceasefire that lasted for seventeen years broke down in the north of the country. Which plunged the country into you know the most um extensive um armed conflict that we've witnessed since the nineteen eighties really. And so so for me it was this kind of puzzle that brought me um back then into my PhD project which I ended last year about um, kind of why would the KNU, especially against this background of seeing the experience of a ceasefire breaking down, go into a ceasefire themselves at that very moment. Um, and really interesting to compare these kind of perspectives or experiences, which I think we haven't done enough really, um, is actually in 2013, you know, just one year after the ceasefire um, with the KNU, um, a current activist was um, telling me "Well, these things are really quite similar. guys we are repeating what the KO has done in the past 17 or 20 years. And he's like, it's just like Kachin State. You see there's resource extraction, special economic zones, so-called development. Something like ceasefire and development because people are poor and need to be developed, blah, blah, blah. So the problem, he's like, you know, poverty is not the root cause of the problem, it's just a catalyst. And so he's like, you know, there's this overemphasis on economics first, and we're going to discuss politics along the way, maybe later. But we've seen what Tim was speaking about, the interim arrangements, right? Really important part of the NCA for the KNU leaders, they see, well, this is legitimizing, you know, their governance, their, this is now we can talk about, whereas from the government side, this is actually not the emphasis at all, right? Um, and so here, you know, um, really interesting to hear from a um, uh, current activist linked to the KNU, that he was very much drawing this comparison for me anyways. Um, and so just just briefly about the breakdown of the KLO ceasefire. Where then want to kind of compare these things to, to the KNU. Um, uh, like, as for the background, of course, the ceasefire broke down of various reasons, of course, right? The state also had a huge role to play in there, of course, right? Especially the BGF uh, border guard forces um, 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 scheme that was kind of being imposed on ceasefire groups in the north, you know, has impacted, like, other groups as well, of course. Um, but for, for the K, also had the really interesting transformation was, well, how did the KO, that was very much um, eroding its capacity, so the the lost legitimacy among many Kachin people during the early 2000s, kind of eight years, 10 years into its ceasefire, um, and and kind of eroding organizational capacities, deserting KO soldiers into the hundreds, how did that get actually, kind of how did that organization actually get back onto its feet and remobilize that heavily? Um, to to uh, stage this battle they that's done against the, the Um and there really um, uh, one can look at it uh, as with regards to some kind of different stages I would propose and in the beginning um, there, like in the 19, early 1994 1996 there was this partial leadership co-optation happening where leaders of the koO did not sign the ceasefire primarily because of economic incentives as you know was proposed sometimes um, but economic incentives were, of course, um, um, making the ceasefire arrangement more palatable. Often then, we might think, well, leaders are just corrupt then and are taking all the trade money for their own partial gains and so on. It's a bit more complicated than that, really. There's an incremental co process happening. Many of the KOO leaders in the beginning of the ceasefire had a very developmentalist head-on, basically. They were building roads together with Chinese companies, together with the state, they were building hydropower plants, for instance. Right? They actually thought, well, now we can develop these things, uh, the, our, our areas. And of course, socioeconomic marginalization is part of the conflict. Right? Um, but nevertheless, of course, um, uh, much of you know the quite corrupt um, um, shade, timber kind of uh, uh, industries had a toll on, on the leadership, fragmented the leadership. There was lots of infighting between Different leaders of the KIO, but also fragmented the movement in terms of its relations to local communities, its relations to other social nodes in the network of the KIO, churches, for instance. Uh, fragmented its relations to uh, their own kind of rank and file. Really. And so over time there was a contestation of authority happening within the KIO. That kind of happened along certain cleavages, almost age. So young officers contested their own old guard. Um, uh, KIO, Ka. There was a cleavage there. The Ka was much more willing to remobilize actually than the Ko. that was perceived as being too much of a sellout really at the time. Um, and also between the Ko and the wider Kachin society. So the KBC, the Kachin Baptist, Baptist Church, for instance, has you know always held during the ceasefire a much more um, let's say um, staunch, uncompromising revolutionary line than the Ko itself. Um, uh, and so there was a remobilization happening from within that happened particularly about well, uh, or particularly with the establishment of a very strong youth wing in the movement that was then recruiting heavily in universities in the north um, and across the country up until, uh, also in MIT and Yangon for instance Um, and especially a new alliance between KO uh, leaders, these young officers that remobilized the movement and the churches actually happened, which you know, brought back some lost legitimacy during the basically. Um basically. And so these kind of things that happen within the KIO, um, uh, let's, let's try and see whether they are comparable, actually, to the U. KNO, you know, as um, many uh, of my current friends would point out, um, whether this is a kind of disagree here. And for the partial leadership co sorts of mechanisms that happened after the ceasefire uh, with the KIO, I mean, this cartoon, many of you might have seen it from BNI, from a report on the economics of war and peace. It's a great cartoon, really, because it's you know, from 2012, so just after the ceasefire. And when we see Uten who's like speaking to various armed group leaders, this is uh, General Mutu of the KNU. And the guy who's kind of co-speaking with Utensein here is uh Yun, aka Ling who's the ruler of Mungla. NDAA, the first ceasefire uh, uh, leader um, of the late 80s, actually, in the north of the country. So Mungla, this kind of uh, uh, epitome of ceasefire capitalism, if you want, So, like uh, casinos and so on. And he's explaining to the other newcomers, Mon, as well as Chin, um, how ceasefire works, so economic development projects, et cetera, kind of leading to the cash, but land drives being crossed out, and so on. And so this is a state where, well, of course, there is something that is happening, right? On the other hand, though, and this is also, I think, important to appreciate, right, is um, uh, when you speak to KNU ceasefire leaders, so the faction that is pro-ceasefire, well, they, of course, also think of it quite differently. And they you know, some people blame us. Hey, you revolutionaries, we shouldn't do business. But um, we have to do this, right? Um, you see, when they, try to, when they want to build a road, we cannot stop them. The bigger countries are playing the tune. We have to dance to it. So there's one thing of like, well, you know, we have to kind of see how we can actually make these kind of quite huge economic forces that are entering our areas work for our people and also to develop our um, um place. So very similar kind of aspirations actually that what we could have seen in, in, in KLO areas in and the mid nineties actually, right? Um, but then, though, it fragments like this whole ceasefire as well as these economic forces entering the territory. It does fragment the group, of course. Okay, and it does fragment the group, of course. And um, uh, fragmentation is nothing new to the KNU as we all know. Um, and it actually, we speak about fragmentations in these movements, well, it fragments groups along already existing cleavages, right? And the cleavage here, um, one of them. Um, is of course between the northern parts of the current state, mm-hmm. central and southern parts of the current state, mm-hmm. right? And this had a lot to do and it kind of resonates very much with what Gerald was saying. Well, that you know, if you look at this, is just the border lines here, right? This is the Salvin River in Mutro, so obviously about here. Um, and this here is the Salvin River just here in of Miravadi, the crossing many of you will know. Um, uh, it's not the Salvin River, sorry, it's Mori River, of course. Um, but so, it's a very different area, really, if you speak about the KNU and its relationships to local communities, right? A very remote area, where, like, Brigade 5, for instance, a very different kind of, you know, reciprocal, partly reciprocal relationship to local communities than what um, Brigade 7, 6, for instance, has in, in, in uh, kind of central areas there, right? And if you really look at who was Kind of behind signing the ceasefire with the government and who was backing it and so on, whereas all leaders from here and uh, downwards, right? Great to win used to be Brigade 4 leader um, at the time of the Dana pipeline, so f- uh, uh, in the late 90s. Um, like Brigade 6 was uh, uh, General Mutu, Brigade 7 uh, uh, saw so Johnny, right? So who were all kind of losing a lot of power and authority within, within their own movement and trading very much. Uh, um, uh, this you know, uh, ceasefire to gain, retain power and authority within the movement. Whereas leaders from Brigade 5, for instance, actually refraining from these meetings altogether. Um, so then, of course, there is a lot of contestation of authority happening within uh, uh, the cane, right? On the one hand, we have contestation between these different leaders, as we all know, saying, Mutu not being on the same page. On the other hand, of course, contestation also over the legitimacy, legitimacy of rule by local communities and often civil society organisations who used to be actually within the network of the king. This I can't read now, but it's been a very interesting public letter uh, uh, published uh, at the time of the NCA signing, where uh, uh, 41 current civil society organizations (coughs) were very much condemning the KNU leadership, actually, which shows a similar contestation happening that we have witnessed uh, uh, in KIO areas in the mid-2000s. And so then just to end with... Um, would there be a similar mobilisation as we've seen in the KO happening anytime soon in State? Well, the contexts, of course, are quite different, especially also the international context today, and the whole situation at the Thai border is a very different one. Um, so I would <coughs> say, well, these things depend a lot on the conduct of the ceasefires or these things in, the how, in how far, for instance, interim arrangements can be harnessed to uh, uh, get m- larger buy-in from internal opposition within the movement. Um, and, and this is really, I suppose, very much uh, 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 the key here to include um, opposition voices within the movement that are quite strong, that command quite lots of uh, uh, support among uh, especially the soldiers, the KLA and strong brigades like Brigade 5, for instance, um, uh, uh, which now after the 16th KNU Congress, of course, uh, looks a bit le- less likely because um, one, like, General Mutu Greater wins faction was very much winning uh, 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 the election process there, Um, which doesn't, though, mean that these opposition forces go away, right? And The question is, how can we still make sure that these are being included? Just a couple of cleavages to point out at the end to be watched from my opinion is really, well, the cleavage between uh, the KNU, KNLA, and KNDO on the other side. So General Nerda, who has a very uh, particular um, perspectives on these things as well, who's just mm-hmm. been telling me, well, he's just been touring the diaspora, which is another actually really important entity to watch the diaspora movement and whom are they supporting, right? As well as. Um, youth really and that brings it back again to the Kachin experiences mm-hmm. there's something I haven't really spoken about a lot but I think we should actually there's lots of aspirations as we've heard before from trusted, uh, from justin about youth you know from youth actors really but also within the KNU actually saying well these old leaders they don't represent us very much right which is a thing that is very similar or had very similarly happened within the K.O. that's just to end with okay thank you very much yeah. thank you, thank you.